This morning, I want to take the opportunity afforded by the verses we're studying to talk about three common church practices that we also follow here at New Life. So three common church practices. Uh, and there's always, as we, as we do these church practices, as other churches do what they do on a Sunday or any other day as their church practices, there's always room for improvement in what we do. But we make every attempt to align our church practices with biblical truth, sound doctrine, and historic Christianity. So my goal this morning is that we understand the practices of the church and the practices of our church so that we may be of one mind and one accord as we seek to live out, as we seek to collectively express our worship, which first and foremost ties to the mission statement of our church that we want to love God. So our worship is our means of loving God. And then we want to collectively and individually give. It's our individual and corporate giving and that enables and is connected to loving God and loving others. And we want to obey the Lord's command to help those in need, which ties again to loving others and making disciples. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Short set of verses, but here's the, here are some important things for us to know. Now, right at the beginning, Paul's use of the phrase, now about. So in verse 1, he says, now about the collection. It, that suggests that he's dealing with questions or challenges that the Corinthians had about taking up collections and giving. So he uses that same phrase, now about, in chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 12, when he's dealing with the Corinthians' questions and challenges about sexuality, food sacrifice to idols, and spiritual gifts. So they had questions about those things. And when they had those questions, each one of those things that he addresses, he says, now about, and then he starts to address it and talk about it, right? So here he's doing that. So in this chapter also, Paul is instructing the believers and recommending common practices. Here, as he's addressing collecting and distributing funds, he makes it clear that he's giving similar direction to churches in Galatia and presumably churches in other areas. So he's giving the same kind of counsel, same kind of correction, same kind of direction. And he's saying, this is what you should be doing, which means this is sound counsel for us also, as the word of God is for our benefit. So let's go through the three practices highlighted in this passage. Church practice number one. We worship collectively on Sunday, the first day of the week. If you always wondered, why do, why do churches meet on Sunday? Why, why, why do they do that? Right? In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, 
we read that when Paul was in Troas, the believers came together on the first day of the week, on that Sunday, for the Lord's Supper, for communion, and the preaching and teaching of the word. The first day of the week, Sunday, was referred to as the Lord's Day. We have a reference to that in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. And this first day of the week began to be used as a day of worship separate from the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday. As the Gentile churches grew, Sunday worship became the primary day of corporate worship. That's not taking away from anything else that is already there in the word or the practices that would have been there, but the church started to. So historic Christianity started to honor this first day of the week as the Lord's Day, as a day when they would come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as a day in which they would listen to the word and so on. And we know from various scriptures that we are both individually and collectively to worship God every day, not just on Sunday. Right? We, it's not just, okay, the only day for worship is Sunday. That's not the case at all. And we know from Romans chapter 14 that we observe days or commemorate various memorials as a means of honoring the Lord, not because that day is significant in itself. It's not something about the day. It's about the fact of what we do during that day. And so we're setting apart that time. We're consecrating that time and saying, I want to use this time to worship the Lord, to come together in corporate worship in this way. We are to regularly rest in the Lord. We are to worship individually. We have to spend time with the Lord. And we gather corporately to worship and to lift up the name of Jesus. So what do we do when we come together for worship service on a Sunday morning or gather at other times? We know from the Psalms and other Old Testament scriptures, we've just, I just made a reference to Acts chapter 20, verse 7, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 15 through 16 that we just went through recently, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, what we just read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, and in other scriptures, including other scriptures that we just went through in 1 Corinthians and we are going to go through in 2 Corinthians, when the believers came together, they shared in communion, the Lord's Supper. They shared fellowship meals. They prayed together. There was the manifestation of the Spirit in tongues with interpretation. There was prophecy that was given for the building up and for the common good, right? These were things that were happening when they came together. There was worship in music and singing. The believers shared hymns and spiritual songs with one another. They had a word for each other. They had words of encouragement and exhortation. And the, the believers were the, had funds that they were collecting together. Scripture was read out loud. Most of the people didn't have any kind of device or anything else in their hand in which in, they could look at Scripture. It would be read aloud to them. They would listen carefully to the reading of the Word. And then there was preaching, teaching, and exhortation taking place in these gatherings. So clearly, the order of these activities, like which comes first and what should you do and so on, the order of these activities, how much time is taken for each activity, which specific activities are included in a specific gathering, 
who leads the activity, how will the activity be managed, and the specific details will all vary. The Bible doesn't prescribe that. It doesn't say, here's your liturgy that you will follow. We, we choose to do those kinds of things. We choose to have an order and we choose to do those things. The Bible's not prescribing specifically, but it's saying when you come together, these are some of the things that characterize your corporate gathering, right? And so the important biblical principle in all of that is that all these activities are for the glory of God and the building up of the church. That's the purpose. We should be paying attention to that and making sure that that's what's really happening. Now here at New Life, we make every effort to come together for our corporate worship service on a Sunday morning and for other meetings on various other days during the month to account for all these activities I just went through. We don't cover everything in one time, but we try to do different activities and different things so that we can truly cover all these kinds of activities. And as I've shared before, all of our church meetings in a month amount to less than 5% of the total time available during that month. All of our corporate meetings together, put together, are less than 5% of the total time available during a month. So, even if you were attending every regular or even every special meeting that takes place, something that was not scheduled the same way, but we just called for a meeting or we had something else or so on, you wouldn't be spending even a tenth of your time in corporate gatherings. So this is not like a huge time imposition, it's just what do you pay attention to? What do you prioritize? Now, our corporate activities that we take part in and that we are involved in, in includes this second church practice. We take up a collection as part of our worship. Now, uh, and when, when, when the Bible says we take up a collection, you know, what he's going through even over here, in other words, we are giving a portion of our income as an act of worship and spirit-led stewardship of what already belongs in full to God. We're not saying these resources are mine and I'll give you a little bit. We're saying these resources are the Lord's. He has asked me to be a steward of them. And as per his direction, I'm bringing from those funds to the church and to collect it there in the church so that it can be used for different purposes. Right? That's, that's what we're talking about here. So the phrase set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, in verse 2, it shows that there was to be a deliberate and prioritized management of the funds we receive, the funds that God puts into our hands. This is a very deliberate act to say, uh, this is what the Lord has put into my hand, this is what I'm going to do intentionally, deliberately, for the collection of funds coming in to the church. And we, you know, we, we typically talk about tithing in the church, but really if you look at uh, tithing, just tithe just means 10%, you know, a tenth. But we talk about it and, you know, and we say, oh, you should give that way and so on. But if you really look at the Old Testament examples of giving and the New Testament principles of giving generously, our total giving on a regular basis would be well over 10%. In fact, if you look at the numbers as they are in terms of how the children of Israel brought 
of, of their increase, first fruits and so on, special offerings and things like that, was probably more than 20%, right, that they were giving in that way. And so when the Bible speaks about giving generously, it's not so that we would say, what's my number? What's the minimum? You know, but with what number can I get a check mark, you know, a, a seal of approval that somebody will say, oh, yeah, and they're okay. This person, not so good. You know, what is that number? That's what we look for. Instead, we've got to say, what is the Lord leading me to do? And how can I do that in a way that will glorify him in keeping with the income that he's giving into your hand? Right? This is not, I've heard this happen. I, I'm not sure why anybody would say this, but there are situations where people go into debt in order to give to the church. That's not what the Bible is asking for. Right? That's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is speaking about managing that income that the Lord has given into your hands as good stewards and bringing from that for the needs in the church and so on. So that means that you know, there's that, that regularity, there's that predictability, there's that budgeting, there's that planning that you are doing as the Lord would direct you. Now, this point that Paul makes here that you know, when you come together on the first day, take up this collection. Some churches have been insistent that you must, if, you, if you're a member of the church, you must come to the church with a check, right, on a Sunday morning. Now, we don't, we're not saying that. We don't, you know, insist on that. We're not checking you at the door, whether you have your checkbook. We're leaving that entirely up to you in terms of how you would give, how you would be faithful to the Lord. Your accountability is to the Lord. But I would encourage you, and especially in these days when we have online giving, you may be giving you know, online in a way that you're not even writing a check or anything like that, and that's fine. But the whole point is that that regular giving is the key. Because, and I'm going to get to this in just a second here, because that regular giving allows us to plan for certain things, allows us to be prepared for certain things. But the reason that Paul tells the Corinthians to set aside these funds regularly was so that there would be funds available for planned and unplanned needs. There would be things that would be planned for, and so the funds come in. You have to pay the bills, you have to do these things, you have to take care of all the stuff that needs to be taken care of. But there will be unplanned things that come along, right? And accidents can happen, things can happen, you know, storms take place or something else go goes on, water heaters you know, break, and then you have to do something. You have to, you know, take care of those things. Or there may be an urgent need of some kind. And here in this case, Paul is referring to the need for the believers in Jerusalem, and clearly that has been previously communicated because he doesn't go into any detail in this chapter. So the believers in Corinth were already uh, aware that there was this kind of a need going on, and he's encouraging the other churches outside Jerusalem to give towards that need. But so those kinds of things are going to come up all the time. And so there's a need for us to manage all of these things in a godly manner, in a way that will help to lift up the needs of the church or to address the needs of the church. Which brings us to the third church practice. We give for the needs of the church and for those in need. So those in the church and those outside the church also. When we get to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we'll go through a lot more detail about giving, 
and the mindset we must have when giving. And, you know, we will see what the Lord says about that a little bit more in a different context and so on. In these verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, there, there is the, it's more of a summary statement. It's a summary understanding that our giving is to meet collective and individual needs. That we're giving in order to meet collective and individual needs. When we studied 1 Corinthians 9, particularly verses 4 through 15, we saw that it is appropriate for the church to pay, to materially support its own workers and activities. That is a biblical principle. And again, go back and read 1 Corinthians 9 if you need to, where Paul speaks specifically about that, about the worker earning the wage and you know, the, the fact that the Lord is providing that and so on. And then, like I said, we'll come into more portions about this or giving in other scriptures. But we saw that it is appropriate for the church to pay, to materially support its own workers and to pay for its own activities, right? We don't just rely on some donation as such. We say we're raising funds, we're taking up collections, and then we're going to pay and take care of these particular things that we've got in the church. The collective expenses of the church include setting up and then maintaining everything that's required to facilitate collective activities. So the buildings and the things that we need and all that stuff, we're paying for those things in order to facilitate the collective activities. So in our case, we pay for utilities, which have all gone up recently. Ensuring, we're ensuring online capabilities, right? People are joining online and going through that. We're paying for those things. We're having the necessary equipment and resources and then we have to repair, maintain, improve, add to all of that as part of the ongoing activity of the church. And so it's necessary to account for all that. So in addition to accounting for our collective needs, the church is also called to support those in need. And as I mentioned, in the case of the Corinthians, in this instance, Paul was directing them to assist with the material needs of the believers in Jerusalem. Right? They were... The church in Jerusalem had been hard hit in many different ways, and they were having a lot of trouble. And so he says to them, let's, let's do this. Let's help them. It was also a way for the Gentile churches, the non, you know, where the majority of the people were not Jewish, to align with and to show solidarity with the church in Jerusalem, which was largely Jewish. And so he says, let's do this. Let's, let's take up this collection. Let's help them. Let's make sure that we're coming together as one body. Now here at New Life, we look for opportunities to give directly or indirectly to those in need. It's not only financial support. We've had members of our church, along with others from other churches, do a weekly food distribution to those in need in the local area. We paused that activity during the pandemic. Now we're looking to restart that. And so folks have come up again who were involved in that and said, we want to restart this. We want to do this again. So we'll do it in a slightly different way, but there's an interest in doing that again and to you know, figure out how to help people in the local area, not just with funds, but in some other material ways, including distributing food. So that's, that's, not, so that's an example of that and something that we want to encourage and to pay attention to. In addition to that, there may be things that are coming up and we've had different folks with different capabilities 
including those in our church who can help those with addictions and are able to provide that kind of counsel and so on. And we say, look, if there is that kind of a need, let's make those connections and see how those folks can help, right? So again, it's not funds directly. It's maybe not even some material support or food or something like that, but it's to give counsel or to give help in those kind of situations. So there's all these opportunities for us to help and to be directly or indirectly involved. One of the indirect ways in the, how we touch people in the local area and around the world is through giving to missions. When we give to missions, just you know, sort of things that we become aware of, typically that's through special offerings. So there may be a guest speaker or somebody else, we become aware of a mission and so on, and we may take up a special offering to support that. We are also supporting missionaries regularly on an ongoing basis. Every month we send some money to a certain number of missionaries, and they're going out in all sorts of places around the world, in Asia and Africa and Europe and all places, and they are ministering and doing those things. And so even as we're getting ready for Missions Month, it's always a joy for me to, to tell you or to, to just encourage you that from right here, just our church right here in Concord, we are touching the world. We are literally affecting people's lives all over the world. That's a joy. That's a privilege. Right? So don't ever think less or minimize or you know, sort of overlook what the Lord is doing as you bring your funds in, as we give this collectively. And so we have the special offerings, the ongoing monthly contributions, all of these ways in which we give and we try to support those in need. Let me make one more important point about giving. When we studied the book of Acts, we read this in chapter, Acts chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, where it says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. This is referring to the lame man who was begging by the temple gate. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. I said at that time that as we studied Acts 3, that when we hear the word give, we typically think of money, of silver and gold. But as Peter makes clear, when we mature as disciples of Christ, as we study the word of God, as we live holy lives, as we learn about and then effectively communicate the gospel, as we demonstrate godly character, as we build community, as we serve and lead, and yes, manage money to give, to save, to invest, and so on, there's a lot more in us to draw from and to give to others. So what we're saying is, most importantly, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, when we receive and then minister the gifts of the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit to pray for each other, what I do have, which may not include silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. That should be the reality of our church. We give materially, we do all these things, we collect funds, we do all that, we indirectly, directly, we touch people's lives, but we also want to be a church that is so full of the Holy Spirit 
so led by the Holy Spirit that we can, like Peter, say, I may not have this, but what I do have, I can give you. What I do have in me, which is the Spirit of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord, the anointing of the Lord, what I do have in me, I can give you. And when we partake like that, or when we give like that, when we are generous like that, we will be a blessing to each other and to many, many more people around us and around the world. Right? So let me get to the point of application today because I want to remind us of how we want to do these things. And again, like I said, I was using these verses to talk about common church practices and common church practices that we here at this church go through. But that means that as we respond and apply this word of God that we have heard, we want to follow the common practices of the church. We want to do these things. We want to come together, and in our case, we come together on a Sunday morning for corporate worship. But I want to encourage you, don't just limit yourself to Sunday morning. Participate in other ways. Get engaged. Maybe it's on the Wednesday. Maybe it's the men's fellowship. Maybe it's the women's Bible study. Maybe it's the prayer meeting, sermon discussion, youth and young adult fellowship. Whatever other activity you can start to commit to, get involved in, and be participating in, do it. Because these church practices are there for a reason. They are there for our building up. They are there for us to bond together as a family in Christ. They are there for us to speak life to one another. They are there for us to be encouraged through the week, to be exhorted and built up through the week. They are there for us so that even before we come to the next corporate Sunday morning worship, we have received from the Lord. There is the word that is already richly at work in us. And then we come together on a Sunday morning in great celebration. Sunday morning should not be the only time you even think about the church. But all the time as you pray for, engage in, and are connected to, then if you're, that's happening, then on Sunday morning, oh, it's just a joy to come together, to see that face that you've been praying for all week, to listen to that person who is giving that word of encouragement or a testimony of how the Lord answered that, about that prayer request that was already there during the week. To come together in ways that will encourage us and build us up. So we want to do this and to say, Lord God, help us to follow these practices. To come together in this way on a Sunday morning and in other corporate gatherings. We want to follow this practice of giving the collection or giving funds into the collection. For collecting funds in the church. We bring them all together into one collection as such. And from that, we determine where it needs to go. We're not earmarking it as we give it. We give it together, and then we say, okay, this is where we need to distribute this. This is payment. This is a, a bill. This is something else. This is something we have to take care of. This is something we need to buy. I mean, whatever it may be. And we make those decisions. We support missionaries and so on, right? And we're sending the money out as we receive them. And so there is that, that need that we have that we're doing and we're taking care of, both for the church and for those outside the church. Now, within the church itself, we want to, we have as our goal to pay off our mortgage by April 2024. We have a goal. We said, we want to do this. We want to try to pay off the mortgage. It's not a small sum. It's not a huge sum, but there is a mortgage, and we want to pay that off. So rather than giving you a number, I want to encourage you to just start praying and to say, Lord, what can I do that would be extra? What can I do that would give more? You don't even have to earmark it for mortgage or anything. Just start to give. 
Be faithful. Be faithful in what the Lord is leading you to already give, but then pray about and say, Lord God, is there more that I can do? How can I help in terms of getting this mortgage paid off? And how can we do that so that then as we do, as we take care of that, we have the funds available to do even more, to even do other things. We have other things that we have thought about or wanted to do and so on, but we're sort of holding off on some of those things. And even as we wait to, or even as we continue to do those things to prepare to pay off the mortgage by April 2024, there's stuff we have to invest in now. Investing in people, investing in resources, investing in different things that we need for the church so that we can facilitate these things, right? We have, we have done very little to really advertise or to do things to reach out to people. Some of these events that are coming up now will put out some things and help people to know about them. But the more that we have built the foundations and solidified the foundations and put things in place, then the easier it will be to facilitate when people come in. Right? We need certain things in place. We need people in place. We need ministry focus in place. And we have to build that up as deliberately as possible so that as the church grows, we're able to handle those things with strength. Otherwise, the, the, it'll just overwhelm the church. It'll just be a few people and a few resources that are trying to be stretched to do all of that. Instead, we want to collectively be responsible, be diligent, be committed to saying, Lord God, let me be led of you to build up the church. Now, I want you to notice that in verses 3 and 4, Paul refers to the Corinthians selecting approved or trusted representatives to accompany him in delivering the funds. He says, you pick some people. Pick, the, pick those that will be approved by you to come with me when we deliver the funds. What's the point he's making? Because all of those activities, collecting the funds and doing all of these things and then taking it there, he's saying, I'm not just doing this like whatever I think. I will be accountable. And I want you to know that we will be accountable for how we manage these things. So put people in place. Let them do all of this so that we will be diligent and accountable for how we administer these funds. Here at New Life, we count the weekly collection, we keep records, we deposit the funds promptly in the bank. Pastor Art is out at the bank every Monday. Everything given online, of course, goes directly into the bank account. But we are diligent and we're trying hard to keep um, manage all of those things carefully so that we are accountable for this. When you see the report, you'll see where the funds are going and what's being spent and so on. But the idea is that there will be accountability, that there will be that kind of responsibility for what is being done. So, with all of that said, I want to come back to this to say, you know, this is a passage that as you look at it on the, on the face of it, you say, well, okay, he's talking about doing a collection. But he's really covering some important principles that we need to be aware of See, the, the, the Word of God, the Word of God says to us that it is complete for us, for life and godliness. 
That means all of the theological, doctrinal, creedal things that we would want to know at the big level about what we believe and why we believe it when we sing, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Holy Spirit, you know, three in one. When we make those statements about what he did on the cross and he came of a virgin birth, we're making creedal statements. We're saying this is the beliefs of the Christian church. But in addition to that, the Bible and the Holy Spirit is also taking care of all the practical details of our Christian walk, individually and collectively. How we administer things, how we live and move and do the things that are necessary. So this morning, as we encourage you know, each other to pursue these church practices or to be diligent in these church practices, I'm gonna you know, just encourage you, keep coming back to the Lord to say, Lord God, how should I be obedient to you? Not how should I respond to the preacher, not how should I say something about that appeal that was made. That's not the point. This is not to say, oh, I heard that there's some need. Oh, okay, maybe I'll give some. Oh, then, you know. No, no. You pray. You ask the Lord. And you say, Lord, how should I respond? What should I do? How best can I contribute into this so that we can be built up as a church? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy in our lives and the ways in which, Lord, you take care of all these details about how we should administer our lives individually and our church life collectively. Lord, there's so much that the Bible says about our corporate worship. And we thank you, Lord, that we come together, we set apart these days, and especially on a Sunday morning, to come and worship you, to come and say, Lord God, you are worthy of our praise and our worship. Lord, there is joy in the house of the Lord when we come to you and worship you. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you that as we do our worship in, our, in every way that we can, with all that is in us, we also give, we collect funds. We do that with the responsibility of taking care of the needs of the church and the needs of others, Lord, that we don't even know directly, but Lord, are connected to us through so many other people. Father, we pray that we will be diligent, we will be responsible. We will continue to do this in you so that, Father, we will indeed follow what you have ordained for us, the best practices, the church practices that you have, Lord, called us to. We ask this, Lord, that we will be diligent and responsible in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.